You are Locked On Raiders, your daily Oakland Raiders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Just win. The autumn wind is a pirate, blustering in from sea, with a rollicking song he sweeps along, swaggering boisterously. His face is weather beaten. He wears a hooded sash, with a silver hat about his head, and a bristling black mustache. He growls as he storms the country, a villain big and bold. Welcome in Raider Nation to another episode of the Locked On Raiders podcast on this 4th of July. That's right, it's Thursday, July 4th. 2019. Very special day today. Hopefully everyone gets to enjoy their day with some family, some loved ones. Don't have to work too much. Maybe get out and barbecue, go out and play some sports, do something. You know, just have a day to relax and and, uh, enjoy the day and realize exactly what the 4th of July really means. And look, uh, first and foremost, before we get into the episode today, and I do believe it's a really special episode that you will enjoy. Before we do that, let's recognize what the day is all about. So shout out to all the military. Shout out to everyone who's a first responder. Shout out to everyone who allows us to live and enjoy the freedoms that we do each and every day. Definitely appreciate you, appreciate you, and appreciate you some more. I say it every holiday that, you know, we can never say it enough. We can never thank our military enough. We can never thank our first responders enough. Anyone who's ever sacrificed themselves or their family that's sacrificed in the line of duty, any of that, we never can say it enough, but we always remember on days like today, the 4th of July. So I just want to go ahead and, like I said, I cannot thank you enough, but I can salute you right now. So thank you very much for all that you have done and thank you very much for everything that you continue to do you know who you are and you know whose families have been affected so thank you thank you and thank you one more time now obviously it's the fourth of july obviously it means a lot to the country but to raider nation it means a lot as well it means the birth of the raiders it means the birth of al davis it is al davis's birthday i told you on wednesday's episode that i had a very special show for you and i believe i had a very special show that you would really really enjoy and i think you will and I know that I also broke the broke the news that the show was going to have to be a little bit uh, shorter now than it than it normally is. And I appreciate everybody who's reached out to me and, and said that they wish it didn't have to be. But look, you know, like I mentioned, everybody has rules that they got to follow. So I'm going to do the the same thing, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll make it work. Don't worry, just rock with your boy. And we'll make it work. So today's episode, very special episode dedicated to the life of Al Davis. So to help me talk about the life of Al Davis. I brought in John Kingdon. John Kingdon was a longtime scout for the Raiders, over 30-plus years with the Raiders, and uh, he's a co-author of the book Behind the Shield. Many of you have probably already read the book, have it in your collection. Maybe you have the audio books. You can get it on Amazon right now. It's called Behind the Shield. Just nothing but stories on Al Davis. And it's easy to go and pick up the book and read it and whatever or listen to the audio tapes and, and, and listen to them and enjoy it. But why not have him on the show, right? Why not have John Kingdon on the show telling some of those stories, talking about Al Davis, kind of picking his brain. So look, what went to be what meant to be like an eight to ten minute interview turned into about 36 minutes of it. So that's what this episode is going to be all show long. It's going to be me and John Kingdon back and forth talking Al Davis. So let's just jump right into it. Joining me now on the phone line to talk the late, great Al Davis is John Kingdon, the co-author of Al Davis Behind the Shield. And John, it's been a few years since the last time I talked to you, but 
with the 4th of July here, we obviously celebrate the great nation that we live in, but we also celebrate the greatness of the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who had the vision of the Raiders. That's Al Davis. It's his birthday as well. As a guy who was close and has so many stories about Al, what do you think of? What comes to your mind when his birthday rolls around each and every year? Well, I always think that, uh, you know, it's the one day of the year we really got off. And the joke around the office was that uh, we're getting that July 4th off because it's Al's birthday. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that always worked. Or I still sent him, uh, we had a clipping service, and I always made it a point to still send him uh, those uh, articles that day as well. But, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a genuine experience. He was certainly a very key part of my life. I was there uh, 33 years, and uh, I just uh, right off the top of my head, I'm, I'm 66 now, so I really spent uh, basically half my life uh, with the Raiders and, and working under Al Davis. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a genuine experience. Uh, you know, just every day was a challenge. Uh, you know, he always had a lot of ideas, and he always wanted to... Uh, it was a battle to keep up with them, and but you know the longer you worked there, the more you learned how to anticipate what he was looking for. And if sometimes he asked me a question I didn't have the answer for about a player, well, I always knew uh, he was going to ask that question in the future about all the other players. So I think he appreciated that aspect uh, of, of the way I worked with him. You mentioned how every day is a challenge. You knew it was going to be a battle, good or bad. It really didn't matter. But in your opinion, what was it about him? What what made him tick? What made him be so special and, and be that guy that you know was going to make a challenge each and every day? Well, he, he took a, a great deal of pride in, in what he did. He always wanted to be successful. And, uh, you know, although he, he did keep up on, on a, lot of the, a lot of things around the world, the polit- political situation, uh, other sports. Uh, he loved uh, uh, women's basketball, particularly the colleges. But uh, this football was his life. It was 24-7. And, uh, and there was nothing that he was going to overlook. He, he kept up on every little detail. And, uh, and you knew, uh, it didn't take you very long to know that, you know, that if... if uh, uh, if he asked, he had like a lawyer's mentality. If he asked you the question, he basically more often than not knew what the answer was going to be. And and when we had new coaches coming in, I would sit down with them, and that's the one thing I would tell them. I'd say, look, if he asked you a question, you don't know the answer. Don't make up something up, because again, he probably knows what the answer is, and he'll catch you on that. And if you don't know the answer, then you know make sure that you'll know it the next time. But it's better to admit you don't know something than make something up and really get caught. Uh, by him in that regard. Yeah, it's so, so it's one of those scenarios, almost like when your parents used to say, they used to ask you a question, but they already knew the answer. My mom used to tell me that all the time. I don't ask questions to you that I don't already know the answer. It was the same thing with Al. Well, again, like your mother, I guess the way I always heard it was a, uh, the lawyers were always told, don't ask a question unless you know <laughs> what the answer is going to be. And uh, again, that was uh, that was that was kind of fun. It was like, well, you know, it was kind of fun also to uh, it was a challenge when you could kind of beat him sometimes, right. or convince him uh, otherwise of what his opinion was going into an argument. And uh, more often than not, he would say, oh, "Okay," and hang up quickly and uh, 
not let you kind of bask in the uh, in the in that uh, small victory. That's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. The Raiders they just announced the 60th season, the commemorative logo celebrating 60 years of Raider football. And there's players that come and go from team to team, especially nowadays with free agency. But every time I hear a player talk about putting on that silver and black, putting on that helmet, putting on those colors, it was just different. What made it so much different putting on those colors than it did putting on someone else, some other team in the league? Well, I think uh, we had an owner, again, that, uh, at, at that there was probably only one other owner, uh, Paul Brown in Cincinnati, that had experience as a coach, uh, in coaching experience besides being an owner. But I think Al was, was also really a, a people person. I mean, he loved the players, and the players realized that. Uh, and uh, he took great pleasure in taking players that hadn't been successful in other, uh, with other teams and would bring them here, and he would give them space and give them time to uh, to learn and, and, and kind of give them a chance to, you know, show the way we were doing things, particularly when we were successful. And, you know, it was like, uh, just there were so many examples of it. Just one, Ethan Horton was a, uh, you know, his number one pick running back out of North Carolina by the Kansas City Chiefs, a really a good guy. And Al loved projecting guys to different positions. In fact, I have a whole chapter in the, in the book, about uh, you know the success Al had in, in moving guys to other spots, and Ethan Horton came in. We made him a tight end, and uh, he made the Pro Bowl. Uh, so it was, it was things like that. Raymond Chester, you know, was a wingback actually at Morgan State, uh, and, and I think he also had a, a great feeling. He was way ahead of his, his time and other teams regarding minorities. Right. Uh, he, he was very much uh, uh, in support of that, and, and, and a lot of it was the AFL as well. But but he uh, he and the AFL were, were you know were, again were were at the forefront of drafting uh, players from the predominantly black colleges, uh, you know the Willie Browns and Art Shell at Maryland Eastern Shore. And, although Willie uh, was out of Grambling, but he had traded for him uh, with the Broncos. Uh, but but we had great great success uh, uh, players in that regard. Again, the, the Chiefs were another team that had you know great success in that regard. Willie Lanier. And uh, Buck Buchanan and, and Ernie Ladd, people like that. So I think the players appreciated uh, how much he cared for them, uh, number one. And then, number two, uh, they were always impressed at, at how much he knew. You know, I would talk to players that we would, you know, we would bring in players. And, uh, and, uh, and then, I, you know, after they were finished with Al, I said, you know, how'd it go? I said, he knew every play I played on the strong side, on the weak side, <laughs> in this game two years ago. And, and they they just walked out of those rooms feeling really impressed and, and the idea you know I'd like to play for this guy and uh, and that pretty much kind of set the pattern and I think it it was such a strong uh, you know had such a great run from when he came in from '63 you know right up until uh, you know after that last Super Bowl that even though we had you know pretty much uh, his last ten years were not good uh, I think still his uh, his influence and his uh, effect on the organization still uh, carries with, uh, you know, the commitment to excellence, silver and black, you know, things like that. And I think the uh, it carried on for the, not only for the 
players, but for the fans as well. I'll tell you right now, I know you can't see me, but I just got a smile on my face just listening to these stories. I mean, just listening about the man. It's just, it's really incredible. I love it. I'm talking right now to John Kingdon, the co-author of Al Davis Behind the Shield, and and that's whose life we're celebrating right now at his, uh, his birthday is right here upon us. And uh, the great Gil Brand, and I know that Al had a really good relationship with uh, the Cowboys, the ownership at the Cowboys, Jerry Jones, but the great Gil Brand, he's going into the Hall of Fame this year. He always talks really highly about Al. One, how proud do you think Al would be to see his buddy Gil go into the Hall of Fame? And really, they kind of, or Gil learned a lot from Al as far as I'm understanding as well. Is that true? Uh, I know they communicated a a great deal. And I used to, at the Combine, uh, you know, Al used to always sit by the the starting line. He always liked to see the way guys would start. And Gil would oftentimes, not oftentimes, but a lot, go down there and sit next to Al and they'd be sharing ideas and such. And, uh, you know, Gil was, was nice enough to write the uh, introduction uh, to our book. And mm-hmm. so I was certainly very pleased at, uh, at Gil going in there as well. But, you know, Al was very, the other guy that Al was very close with, ironically, was, was Jerry Jones. Right. And, uh, y- you know, it was a story where we were going to trade, uh, we wanted to trade up in the second round uh, to get Steve Wisniewski. And Al was talking with, with Jerry about it, you know, what we're going to give back and forth. And, and the Cowboys' time on the clock was running out. And, and Al just said to Jerry, Jerry, why don't you just take Steve and, and we'll work out the details. And, and, and he did, you know. And then we ended up trading a second and a fourth uh, for Wisniewski. And it worked out both ways because the Cowboys got uh, Moose Johnston, right. uh, who turned out to be a really good player at the fourth round player was a guy that didn't make it but that's neither here nor there but i just the one thing i always remembered off of that story after we completed the trade to get steve and al said you know jerry is the only guy that i would have trusted uh to 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 select steve and then trade him to us after uh, he drafted him so so that was just a you know a really indication of how close they were and uh you know as always you know a lot of times again you know, Al always talked about don't talk to anyone, keep everything under your hat, don't talk to people. And I think the one guy that Al did talk to was Jerry Jones. And just an example, when uh, the year Orlando McClain came out, actually our best linebacker was Sean Lee out of uh, Penn State. Okay. And, you know, though, you know, it was what I think the uh, 12th pick, and, and Sean had had a major knee injury that year, so you really couldn't take him that high. And we said, let's trade down, get a few picks, and take him either late in the first or early in the second. And, and Al was kind of enamored with the uh, workout members of McLean. And, and then who, 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 does, uh, who takes Sean Lee in the second round? But uh, <laughs> Jerry Jones. So, you know, we all kind of look at each other and say, yeah, I wonder how come Jerry liked him so much, you know, even with that knee injury. Uh, so I think that was just another indication of how, how much uh, Al, Al enjoyed Jerry. Yeah, and, and I remember you telling a story about the time when uh, Al was at, at that time, Valley Ranch, and he was actually wearing cowboy gear because he was working out. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to. And, I, and my great regret, this was before uh, cell phones. <laughs> and, you know, the Combine was actually held in uh, Dallas that year. There were three different Combines. And uh, I think there were five different teams there, the Cowboys, Seattle, uh, the Cardinals and uh, Buffalo and us, and uh, you know, and Al wanted to. Al liked working out. Actually, it was uh, he liked running and such. And uh, everyone had left, and uh, Buck Buchanan was the uh, was the equipment manager there, and uh, and Buck came out and brought uh, you know Al workout gear, and uh, it was just was such almost a contradiction in terms to see Al 
wearing Dallas Cowboy gear. And, <laughs> and again, I would have loved to, you know, again, we didn't have phones with, with uh, cameras in it, but that would have been a, a, a price, a picture that I probably could have sold right now for a lot of money. All right, so that's part one. That's just part one of the conversation that I had with John Kingdon. And, man, I'm telling you, you can ask him a story, and he'll start to talk, and, and then he'll just continue to go. As you can tell, he'll just go and go and go. It's really a lot of fun to talk to him. I actually had him on my radio show a couple years ago when the book Behind the Shield came out, and uh, or right before it came out, and that was fun. I mean, that was meant to be about an 8- to 10-minute conversation. It turned into about 20, 25-minute conversation in Central Texas. You know what I mean? So uh, it, it's all good. But, uh, yeah, that was just part one. So coming on back, have part two of the conversation with John Kingdon, co-author of Behind the Shield, right here on Locked On Raiders Podcast. You are Locked On Raiders, your daily podcast on the Oakland Raiders. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Raider Nation, hopefully you're enjoying your 4th of July. Hopefully you're enjoying the Locked On Raiders podcast, the episode, the 4th of July episode, the life and times of Al Davis, showing that love to Al on what it would be his birthday. So uh, let's just go ahead and jump right back into part two of my conversation with John Kingdon, co-author of Behind the Shield. Right now, the Raiders, they're one year away from opening up an amazing new stadium in Las Vegas. If Al was around today, in your opinion, what would he think of his team being on the verge of headed to Las Vegas, being the professional football team that's in Sin City? Well, you know, he loved he loved Las Vegas. He liked going there a lot. Uh, I was just there in Las Vegas. I don't remember David Holm was the backup quarterback to Kenny Stabler all those years. Uh, David uh, grew up in Las Vegas. He was the first inductee in the uh, Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. And uh, and Al presented him. He had a great deal of affection for David. And, uh, David died a little more than a year ago of uh, MS, multiple sclerosis. And uh, anyway, I was back there. They named a scholarship after him. And uh, I went by that stadium. It is, it is a, a very, very impressive uh, structure. Uh, what's interesting about it, I uh, not want to get off the t- but there, it's one of those, uh, the Arizona Cardinal Stadium uh, is the first time I saw it, where they would roll the, grass field into a dome stadium Mm -hmm. and during the week they would roll it out so it'd be under the sun and that's what they're going to do and i believe they have field turf underneath it just in case uh, things don't work out but uh i think the only difference uh uh that's going on whether i would have kept the team here or moved it i don't think you could turn down an opportunity like this where you basically double the value of your franchise and they'll be they'll be in control of everything unlike they were in oakland but i think al uh, really loved the Bay Area. And I think the only difference, I think he would have given the Bay Area a legitimate shot to come up with uh, with an appropriate stadium. Uh, now, I don't think they could have done it, uh, in a, uh, no matter what they tried, just because of financial reasons. But I think he would have at least uh, let them make a, a, a legitimate presentation. So I think he'd be excited about the opportunity and the you know, new facilities and, and, and a stadium like that. And hopefully the one thing he always talked about, he always wanted, was a, uh, a Raider Hall of Fame. And I, I'm hoping that they'll... Uh, put in something like that as well yeah no doubt about that that would be just absolutely amazing what do you think he his thoughts or what do you know his feelings were on Raider Nation who obviously is one of the best fan bases in the NFL one of the best fan bases in sports in general and just their loyalty and the way that they're not just in the Bay not just in LA not just in Vegas but worldwide just just to see that the team and the love and the, the way that they're embraced all over the place what did that mean to Al oh he, he took such uh, pride in that and uh, wherever we went, uh, uh, it, there was actually two groups would, uh, when we were uh, coming into uh, uh, cities, you know, on, on road games. And 
I think he took as much pride in the player, in the fans, so many of them meeting us uh, as we were coming into the hotel. But I think he took just as much pride in getting booed heartily as they walked <laughs> onto the field. Uh, just I think he saw that as really uh, more of a sign of respect uh, for what he had put together. Uh, he just had such great uh, love that, uh, you know, oh, look at that sober and black. You know, I'd be walking along with him. It was, it was, uh, it was something. He, he loved those colors. You know, he got the black, uh, the colors from uh, uh, West Point. Uh, you know that's that's originally where he came up with those uh, colors. Right, absolutely. That that's that's really really cool. How would you describe to a fan that has never seen the Raiders as a successful franchise? I mean, I was I was born in '76, so I remember the Super Bowl in '83, but I wasn't I wasn't locked in at that point. You know, I wasn't all about it. I wasn't a, a fanatic. I wasn't crazy at that point. But as a, as some fans are really young, have not seen the the Raiders successful. What would you tell them? What does it mean to be a Raider? What does commitment to excellence or just win, baby, mean to those that have not experienced that yet? Well, it's kind of hard to sell it when you know they've had such a bad run. You know, right. they, uh, you know, after you know Mark took over, they thought they made a fairly poor decision in hiring Reggie, and that kind of bombed out with a thirty-five percent uh, winning percentage. But I think when the teams were were really good. Uh, we, we just had a combination of, uh, of, of like three factors. One was size, uh, one was speed, and one was toughness. And, and maybe there's even a fourth factor, which was pride. Mm-hmm. I think the players took a, a great deal of pride. They all looked out for each other and such. And, you know, I'm kind of excited. I think they've done a nice job. One, in, uh, I'm a big, big fan of uh, Coach Gruden. Okay. You know, we wrote two chapters on him and uh, probably could have written about two more. Uh, and then... Uh, you know, Greg Papa, who they unfortunately let go of, was a great, great uh, play-by-play guy with the Warriors. I'm sorry, with the well, he did the Warriors too, but mm-hmm. with the Raiders, and he's actually going to be the play-by-play guy with the 49ers this year. Uh, but uh, and anyway, he made a great comment when they brought Mayock in uh, instead of Reggie McKenzie, and he said, you know, Mayock's got all the energy, he's got all the focus. And, uh, you know, and it's a good match with John Gruden, whereas, uh, you know, Reggie McKenzie, it would take him 10 minutes to get out of his chair. <laughs> so I think they're, they're pointing in the right direction. They, they hired, uh, they got a, a really good director of scouting now, Jimmy Abrams, who at uh, one point did scout, I'm going to say came over from the Cowboys, mm-hmm. and uh, is really good scout. And they also got Walter Juliff, who'd been with the Cowboys for a number of years. So I think they're 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 pointed in the right direction uh, that way. Do you feel, or did did Al ever say anything about trading John Gruden after that Tuck Rule game? Uh, as far as that being one of his biggest mistakes that he ever made as an owner, uh, he was he was not uh, easy on admitting mistakes. Uh, <laughs> Understood. He, 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 uh, no, well, no one was going to you know confront him on it either. Right. Uh, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure that he did. And again, part of. You know, and it wasn't one of the things I, I could interview him about or talk to him about. I mean, just because I spoke up against I, I couldn't believe he was doing it. And in, in retrospect, I, I think of every so often, I think of what I should have said to him uh, to really convince him not to, not to do this. But, but we had a chapter, uh, you know, the three guys that he really had problems with publicly were, uh, were uh, Kenny Stabler, Marcus Allen, and, and John Gruden. And those three had become the face of the organization. Right. I think it really bothered him. Uh, you know, I never confronted him on it, but, but I think that's uh, that's pretty much a, uh, 
that's the coincidence, but the, the similarity in, in those three guys having issues with Al. You know, it's funny because I did a show one time and that was one of the topics. You know, if you could sit down and talk to Al Davis and ask him anything without getting in trouble for asking him, what would it be? And the majority of the answers were, what happened between you and Marcus Allen? I think that's the biggest question that is out there for Raider Nation. Well, you know, he was, uh, first of all, Marcus was great. I mean, he was truly one of my favorite uh, people. He was, I always thought he was the most complete running back uh, in the in National Football League history. Uh, the one thing he didn't have was true breakaway speed, but he had breakaway speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he could pass. He was a great blocker. Uh, he, he could break the long run because he was one of those guys that could cut at full speed without losing any speed. He was a great receiver. Uh, again, through through great option passes, did everything, and he was just uh, an amazing leader and competitive guy. And uh, and and uh, and when Al kept bringing in people to kind of uh, replace him, whether it was Eric Dickerson or Roger Craig, or even you know drafting someone like a Vance Mueller, which you know just made no sense. It, it got Marcus so just so frustrated that uh, you know I and recall when Marcus went on. Uh, national TV with Al Michaels. I think they were still on ABC. And he just said, this guy's trying to kill my career. And, uh, and then they just, Al, you know, never forgave that as well. And I know that Marcus even made overtures. Uh, I believe the story was at the Hall of Fame when Marcus approached Al, you know, and Al says, I'm not ready to forgive you yet, which uh, I, I didn't, I thought I was very disappointed in that. Uh, so, you know, it was really the one thing that kind of Al was looking sort of for an excuse uh, to kind of replace Marcus or to blame Marcus. And, you know, you probably won't remember, you know, this is, you really got to be into the Raiders. This was 1986. Okay. Uh, we were, we started off the year, lost four games. Uh, I lost our first uh, three games, rather. We won our next five. And then we were uh, uh, lost, uh, we lost the game. And then we won our next three. So we're eight and four. And uh, we're playing the Eagles at home, and it, it goes into uh, uh, overtime. And, uh, you know, we're close enough in field goal range, and we just got to run a couple of plays, and Chris Bars or, or Jeff Diego is going to kick the field goal. And Marcus uh, is so competitive, uh, he tries to make the cut, and the ball pops out of his air, and the Eagle guy picks it up and takes it down to the one, and Cunningham uh, uh, scores on the next play. And then we lose our next three games. We end up eight and eight and miss the playoffs. And, and I think Al, uh, that always bothered him as well. Uh, that one thing about the fumble. So, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I forgot about that in the book. I would have put that in there, but I thought that was uh, that really always bothered him uh, and used that as an excuse to kind of look to replace Marcus. And, and, and it's just unfortunate because he was he was great and obviously well deserving of being in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and then it's worse that he goes to the Kansas City Chiefs and ends up scoring a historic touchdown number one hundred against the Raiders. I mean, that had to bother Al as well. Uh, I, I wouldn't doubt it, and I, I have to admit I sort of had mixed feelings about it. Uh, it wasn't like you scored and that cost us the game. Right. It wasn't a particularly close game uh, for them. So uh, internally, I was kind of happy for Marcus. But this is probably the first time I've actually said that in public. <laughs> uh, you know, but, uh, I love Marcus. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not mad at you. Breaking news here. It's all good. If Al Davis were alive today, in your opinion, would he be happy? Would he be thrilled that John Gruden was back as the head coach of the team right now? Uh, yeah. You know, I I like to think so. You know, we had a, you know, and that was one of the things. You know, we had a good run. You know, with with uh, John Roush and then to John Madden and the Tom Flores. 
and then you know we had a, a bad run of coaches there. Mm-hmm. You know, from uh, uh, well, Shanahan was unfortunate. I think he would have been a good coach, but Al just didn't like all the changes he made. And then you know, Art wasn't very good, and then Mike White was was terrible, and Joe Bugle was the right man at the wrong time. I think uh, he was he would have been better suited in the '60s and '70s because you know the tail was wagging the dog at that point. And then John came in, right. And I don't think Al really realized what he had with John. I think he saw someone that, you know, that that he could uh, kind of, I wouldn't say manipulate, but, you know, he would be sort of, uh, would listen to everything that Al. And I, he didn't realize this guy was a younger version of Al that worked uh, just as hard as Al ever worked and knew just as much as Al knew in this regard. You know, and then you get rid of him and, you know, went from Bill Callahan uh, to Norv and then, Bringing Art back again was uh, you know a two and fourteen year, and then Kiffin to Cable and Hugh Jackson at least started playing coaching well, and then you know Reggie gets rid of him and brings in Dennis Allen, and uh, you know so it, it was quite a, a bad run, and uh, you know I think uh, like I said I think they're doing well, and John, you know even though they had a bad year, you hear John talk now he's a, such a charismatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, leader you know the fans are just so excited about it and i think they've done a, a really good job of giving uh all the tools to uh Derek carr that are necessary with the offensive line the receivers a running back you know i, I think the offense is going to be uh, pretty impressive this year and with with that being said i'm glad you mentioned Derek carr do you feel like Derek carr is the quarterback that could take this franchise from you know obviously they had the good season in 2016 but that was 2016 uh, it's been rough going since then but do you think he's that guy that could take the the franchise with john gruden's help obviously and lead him far into the future well, I you know I was so terribly impressed. Uh, you know, if they hadn't drafted him in the second round, you know, I always say the you know the most valuable player that year for the Raiders was Ray Farmer. And you say, well, why was Ray Farmer so valuable? It's because he was the guy that drafted uh, Johnny Manziel instead of Derek Carr in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Raiders don't get Carr. You know, it, it really was going to be a disaster under under Reggie. Uh, I think the one thing that's uh, It'll be working in Derek's favor that's really worked against him. I think this is the first time he's had the same coordinator two years in a row. Right. And that just can't be easy to go from one to the other to the other to the other. And the other thing I think that uh, John uh, brings to Derek is uh, I think, you know, just, you know, again, I was on the outside, but Derek was almost too nice a guy. You know, oh, it's all my fault. Oh, put it all on me. I think he, you know, John needed to make him more of a Rich Gannon guy. Who, if a guy misses a uh, an audible pickup, Gannon would chew him out. If a guy ran the wrong kind of get, Gannon wouldn't take any crap from the players. And I think the uh, he brought out the best. And I think that's what John is gonna. I think that's what John's putting more into uh, Derek is is more of a you know kind of a tough leadership, uh, you know, sort of a tough love kind of quarterback that uh, should work in in, uh, in Derek's favor that way. All right, Raider Nation, that was just part two. That's right, you heard part one, part two. Now we got to go down the home stretch. So to do that, you'll hear that coming up in segment number three, the rest of my interview with John King, the co-author behind The Shield. It's the life and times of Al Davis. And believe me, this interview is really fun. It's really great, but it's just a sliver of the life and times of Al Davis. So if you want to hear everything and you don't already have Behind the Shield, I suggest you go hit Amazon and go get it. You can get it right now and you can listen to it. Matter of fact, you don't even have to read the book. You can get the the audio tapes. You can actually listen to it 
right after you listen to this podcast. <laughs> so coming up in segment number three is the, the finish, the finale, the end. Or since it's the 4th of July, let's call it the grand finale. Let's do that, all right? <laughs> My conversation with John Kingdon, part three, coming up next right here on the Locked On Raiders podcast. You are Locked On Raiders, your daily podcast on the Oakland Raiders. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, Every day. Talking right now to John Kingdon, the co-author of Al Davis Behind the Shield. And I just got a couple more questions for you. I definitely appreciate the time that you've given me. If you could think of, off the top of your head, just your best Al Davis story or one of your favorite Al Davis stories that come to mind, what would it be? Well, you know, I kind of got to see him uh, on a more human side uh, than, than most people would. Uh, uh, you know, I, you know, it's, I was going to say about uh, going into a, a fat burger out here. I, I wrote about that in the book. It was uh, you know, he really liked fast food, and uh, you know, I, I picked him up at the airport. I was going to drop him off at uh, his place in Marina del Rey, and just yeah, I kind of like uh, something to eat now. You know, it'd be okay. You know, anything around here? I said, well, there's a place called Fat Burger down the road. Yeah, let's try that. Uh, I'd like to try that. So we walk in the store. Uh, the rest, you know, it's a fast food place, uh, big in L.A. And, and we walk in, and the guy says, gee, Mr. Davis, back so soon? Was that three times this week? <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of look at him, and, and for the only time in my life, uh, he looks sheepish. <laughs> you know? He says, God, I love this place. You know, it's just, uh, why, you know, why was he so embarrassed? But I think my favorite time, uh, you know, our scouting department was made up of, uh, besides uh, Bruce and myself, was uh, made up of players, uh, former players. Kent McClellan was, was a great scout, and uh, Danny Connors, you know, great player. Angie Coya uh, was a guy that played uh, for Al at the Citadel. And then when Al uh, got booted out of there for recruiting violations, he followed Al to USC. And, and he, was, he was really a good scout. And then we had Mickey, who was... Uh, uh, certainly a better player than Scout, but but uh, uh, he he loved when these guys would come. We would come in in December and and meet uh, and then go to the game. Uh, those guys, I, I lived in the area, and all those guys would come in. We would meet for for a week and go over the whole draft. And Al would come in, and he would just start telling stories about Kent McLuhan. And you know, oh, Kent thought he was going to be a safety here, and when he started walking out there, he said, "Hey, get over there to corner." You know, and he would laugh, and Kent would laugh about it. And he'd talk about Angie Coria, how great a player he was. And then I remember Bruce Allen, uh, you know, who was working as an executive, you know, came up. He said, "I wish the scouts were here all the time because Al is always the happiest when you guys are meeting, and, and those uh, former players are, are in the room with him." So uh, I think that was something he always, uh, you know, he never forgot the players. He loved those guys. He loved bringing them into. Uh, uh, to his uh, annual, his, every five years he'd celebrate his birthday in Vegas. And uh, when Gene uh, uh, Upshaw passed away and uh, George Blanda passed away, he, he flew in every player that ever knew uh, those guys at any connection and had great uh, memories and celebrations of those guys. So I think it was his love of all the players that uh, that he ever coached or uh you know, we're on the team when he was owning it. I think that's probably the strongest thing I could say about him. A lot of Raider Nation, all of Raider Nation, loves Amy Trask for everything that she is, all her football knowledge, uh, obviously being the uh, the princess of, of darkness is what a lot of people call her, being the CEO, the first female C- CEO of the Raiders. Uh, what was that relationship like? What was the relationship like between Amy Trask and Al Davis? Well, I was, you know, she was uh, 
pretty much all on the executive side, and I was on the uh, personnel side. So, you know, we didn't uh, deal do too much. But I think, uh, you know, he kind of liked uh, the – I think, uh, you know, from seeing the thing, she, she, she wasn't afraid to challenge him mm-hmm. uh, and to, uh, you know, to kind of uh, take him on, on on legal issues and such. But, uh, you know, again, she had, you know, nothing to do on personnel. But, uh, but he always uh, spoke very highly of her, and, uh, you know, I remember – some people kind of bad mouth there in the organization, and he was, uh, uh, he snapped at those people. He said, Don't ever say anything bad about Amy. Alexa, off. But, uh, so, just, you know, my, you know, just, this is just kind of an odd story of you at the time. Was I'm on the training camp, and, uh, and this was, you know, one of the few times I was really dealing with her. There was these, uh, our training camps were closed, and there were these, uh, two Chinese women. Uh, that were there, and I just asked, uh, you know, what they were doing, uh, and they said, "Oh, they were playing basketball from Ch- they're from China, and they're playing on the uh, Sacramento women's team." So, my my sister in law is Chinese, and she was she taught me about ten things to say, and so so I was walking by them there by the exit after practice, and I go, "Nihao Wohongao Shen Kandani," and I get a double take, like, "What the heck?" <laughs> I, I basically said, "Hello, it's very nice to meet you," and. And then they just prattle on. I got no idea what they're saying. And I just, you know, I went on for like 10 minutes with a few things I said. And uh, and then I, I closed with the she she ni wa aini was Thank you, I love you, and goodbye. And they're laughing and laughing. <laughs> so evidently Amy was watching this, and she went over to them and, you know, I said, oh, you were talking with John Kingman. What were you saying? Oh, he was speaking Chinese. Really? Oh, yes, he was fluent. I mean, they were so polite, which I was not at all. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So the next day, she sent someone up to me and uh, said, uh, Amy told me how you're fluent in Chinese, and uh, we have to have you run our Chinese website. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And I just said, look, if you want me to phonetically write, thank you, I love you, and goodbye in Chinese. But uh, I don't think that would do it. But for some reason, she never, and I always thought it was funny and an honest kind of thing. It was something worth laughing about. But she never, uh, you know, after the person went back and told her that, you know, I wasn't the guy to do it, she never acknowledged it. I had always uh, always found that kind of funny. That is hilarious. Yeah, it was kind of funny. But she, uh, like I said, she and Al seemed to to respect her a lot and uh, never put up with anyone saying anything negative about her. And, you know, if I brought uh, 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 stories uh, to him, and, you know, the press was kind of hard on her. He he would get upset about that. And uh, just one other real quick one was kind of funny was, you know, Amy always talks, if you ever see her Twitter, she shows Al, shaking hands with a guy dressed up as Darth Vader, you know, in, in her Twitter stuff, something. And, and that reminded me uh, one time I was, it was, I think, Sports Illustrated, not Sports Illustrated, excuse me, Rolling Stone had, had ranked all the owners in the league, and Tex Ram was number one, and Al was number two, and the comment on Al was, uh, as all the instincts of Darth Vader. So I, so I brought it over to him, and he starts looking at it, and he goes, who's Darth Vader? he's the uh, character in the Star Wars movie that epitomizes evil and I was kind of curious he kind of looked at me and goes that's pretty good huh (laughs) (laughs) I said okay that's funny (laughs) I forgot I I always got a kick out of that story and uh, 
I, I forgot to put that in the book. I thought that was pretty funny, too. No, it, it really <laughs> is. It, it really is. Final question for you. What is this final season in Oakland? What is that going to mean to you? Uh, well, you know, the fact that when I moved up here, it was Oakland. We went down to L.A. We came back here to Oakland. Uh, yeah, I think the league is kind of sticking it to the uh, team a little bit. Uh, I don't think on, on, on a couple for a couple of reasons. You know, you know when Mark kept saying, "Well, we're going to play with the 49ers say, No, we're going to play in San Francisco. No, maybe we'll play in Birmingham, or maybe we'll go to Fresno." I think the league really got upset about it, and I think they set it up last year for the team, uh, you know, to kind of make a, a, a final goodbye. With the last home game of the year last year was against Denver. And, and the crowd went crazy, and they beat the Broncos. And, you know, and this year, you know, they got this crazy schedule. I don't know if, you, if you're aware of that. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they got two games at home, and then they don't play at home for like seven weeks. Uh, they got two road games, and they got a home game in London. And then they got, uh, uh, I think, two more road games, and they got a bye, the bye after the London game, and two more road games, and they come back here. And then the last game of the last home game of the year is against Jacksonville, which is, you know, nothing not a particularly historic uh, matchup. Uh, you know, so it's not like they've moved, but, you know, Oakland should have been uh, like the Steelers. You know, it's a blue-collar town, and they gave them the stadium. And, and, I, and I really blame the people in Oakland, you know, way back in 1980 that, that had the opportunity to give them a good stadium that was appropriate, you know, for a professional team. And uh, and they just uh, you know when I said Roselle said you don't have to do it they can't move and uh, you know and Al proved them uh, you know that he was right <laughs> right I'm going to leave and uh, so I think you know that to me when I look back on that I think that's really the uh, the sad part because it should have been uh, we should have never left Oakland we never had to leave Oakland let me put it that way and uh, you know in the stadium even when he came back was just. Uh, you know, kind of putting a, a ribbon on a pig kind of thing. It just uh, just wasn't wasn't good. Just throwing good money after bad, and uh, and uh, so so I blame you know I, I think back to those people in uh, you know eighty eighty one uh, uh, when the team finally left in eighty two. Even though uh, I don't remember, I don't know. Eighty two, we we we've actually practiced up here all year and flew back, flew down every home game. Mm-hmm. That was Marcus's rookie year. We were actually eight and one the whole season. It was a strike year, so that traveling back and forth never hurt. That's John Kingdon right there, co-author of Al Davis Behind the Shield. If you have not got it, it's available on book. It's available on audio. I mean, you just got to get it. It's been out for a minute, but if you haven't got it, definitely go get it. John, I appreciate your time so much. These stories are great. We could probably talk for hours on on top of hours about Al and the Raiders. But uh, as we celebrate the, his, his birthday, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much, my man. It was great. I just real quick, if you just keep mentioning it, it's on Amazon. That's really the only place uh, you can get the book. And you said Kindle and Audible and and hardcover. And it's it's we've had a lot of. I appreciate how much you you enjoyed it. And I, I truly enjoyed uh, again talking about Al uh, with July Fourth coming up. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That's great. Appreciate you. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, Raider Nation, that was it. That was it right there. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I told you it was going to be off the chain. I told you that you were going to really, really enjoy it. It was going to be special for the 4th of July. I had a lot of people hitting me up trying to guess who it was going to be. Even my mom was kind of stumped. She's like, man, who, who are you going to have on the show? Who are you going to have on the show? Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully it, I didn't let you down. Uh, I thought it was a really, really good conversation. I actually emailed it to a couple of my radio buddies, uh, my guy Mark Seidel up in ESPN Las Vegas. I shot it over to him. I was like, hey, man, uh, you might want this for your 4th of July content if you if you 
you need something. And then uh, my, my guy, CGP, Christopher Gabriel from uh, ESPN Fresno, 940 ESPN Fresno. You heard him on the show a few times. So uh, I just shot it over to those guys because I was really, really proud of that uh, interview. Hopefully you enjoyed it as well. Hopefully you enjoy your 4th of July. Again, remember what the day is all about. Obviously, it is the birthday of Al Davis, but think about this great country. Think about the great people that have gone into doing everything that they do and have done and have sacrificed to allow us to enjoy this day like we do. You know, I'm going out a little bit later on this afternoon with a bunch of buddies and the wife, and we're going to be playing volleyball and barbecuing and just having a good old time. You know what I mean? But there's a reason why we're allowed to be able to do that so sometimes we need to take that and put that in perspective and realize what is really going on behind the scenes what has allowed us to be the great country that we are yeah we have issues yeah we have fighting yeah there's a lot of things we're not perfect it ain't perfect by no means don't get me don't get it twisted but we would not be in the position that we are right now without the great people that have sacrificed their lives and, and sacrificed what they do, put their lives on hold to go and make sure that they do something for a greater cause, fight for a greater cause. You know what I mean? Just have our backs. I know a, a young man in Central Texas, uh, he's a really good football player, and he said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to go to the Marines. So uh, at the end of this month, he's leaving He's leaving Central Texas. Uh, his name is Matthew Torres. He's leaving Central Texas and headed to San Diego so he can uh, get ready and get started to, to join the Marines. And so, I mean, it's just, you know, so Sometimes when, when young men and young women, and I couldn't do it. I, I'm not that guy. Like, I wouldn't have been able to do that. There's certain roles and certain lanes that you know that you could really excel in and be really good at. I found mine. <laughs> you know what I mean? I found mine. That, uh, you know, doing military stuff and, and, and all that, first responding stuff, that would not have been up my alley. I would not have been able to do that. But there's there's something that's carved out for everybody. And so, you know, I give you the example of my man, Matthew Torres, who's going to, going to San Diego, man. He said, hey, you know, I love football. I love this. I love that. But... I just think that there's a bigger cause for me. I think there's something that I need to do that's that's even greater. And I'm just like, dang, you're only 18. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're only, you're 18 and you're and, and you're thinking about the greater cause for you. And I at 18, I wasn't thinking about no kind of cause. The only kind of cause I was thinking about is that cause. Uh, well, you know what I'm talking about. Then I was chasing females. <laughs> I was chasing ladies at 18. That's the only cause that I cared about. You know what I mean? <laughs> pause for the cause. Yeah, I did. I paused for the cause all the time. So uh, you know, it's it's, it's kind of cool to see uh, young men and women that are are are, are sacrificing them themselves because they 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 feel like there's something greater out there that they need to they need to be a part of and and help contribute to and so I just uh, I, I know there's a lot of people uh, I know there's a lot of military uh, retired Navy uh, Raider retired Navy Raider I know he you know him uh, Vader Raider I believe he's got a he got military backgrounds and I know so many I mean I could I could go up and down the list of people that uh, listen to this show that have military backgrounds or, or are part of the military right now that have lived all over the country because of the military. I, I, I cannot thank you enough. I really cannot thank you enough. I, I don't want it to, to ever not be said enough. I'm here in Central Texas, so Fort Hood is right around the corner from me. Uh, I spent some time there uh, earlier this year and actually got to see just some, some, some great young men and women just kind of going through, going through the, the, uh, the, the process, you know, and, just, and it was just an experience for some high school kids. It was really, really cool. I actually played the audio on the podcast when it, when it happened. It was a lot of fun and kind of eye-opening as well. So uh, salute to all our, our, our soldiers. Salute to all the men and women who have, uh, you know, sacrificed their lives, the families that have been affected. I appreciate you so much. I hope you enjoy your 4th of July. Be safe, be safe, and be safe. And until next time, Raider Nation, as always, just win, baby.